Hello and welcome to another episode of the Citizens of Lorcana podcast, a podcast where we invite you to be a part of their world. We're your host, Jared and James. Today we're talking about the meta. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Hey everyone, welcome, welcome to another week. Last week we talked about the set two spoilers, the new cards, all the news, all the products, and this week, we are joined by a very special guest, Ross, a.k.a. Lorkanidad, who you may run across on Twitter or the Lorkan HQ Discord. He's here to talk to us about the current and future state of the meta. Ross, welcome, welcome. How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me. It is a Thanks pleasure. Yeah. Nice to finally talk to you uh, more than just like by text. Uh but first, before we jump into this, why don't you take a minute to introduce yourself, how you got into Lorcana, and a little bit about uh, your content creation that you've done. So I, like most people, I heard about Lorcana at D23 last year. Um, I'm a huge Disney nerd, and uh, I, I saw the news and saw the the cards were going for sale for the the promos, and I was a little bit interested at that point, and then when the... Uh, article broke in January going over the full reveal of here's what's going to happen and you know getting dates for stuff then I just kind of dove in head first uh, I'm not a TCG player by trade um, I am more of a board game guy so uh, I had that kind of connection because I really really like Villainous I have a copy of every single expansion for that um, and I just kind of merged the two together and said okay this is something I really want to get involved with and I was on Facebook groups, um, which uh, has its own set of issues. And uh, Jared is actually one of the first people that reached out to me and was like, hey, come to Discord. You know, we're friendly over there. We don't bite. Um, and I had never been on a Discord. My wife actually was joking with me that I was too old to be on a Discord. Um, and I, I kind of jumped into Discord and met you guys and met a bunch of other content creators like Liam and Stephanie and Brandon. And through that kind of uh, was encouraged to make my own content. So I started doing audio and then I branched off and started doing a few videos here on YouTube. Um, and then it got to the point where it was just a little bit too much all at once, um, trying to do it by yourself. So I, uh, and I had no formal training at all. So I just kind of dove into it. Um, so I kind of cluttered off and it, it's, it's so hard. People don't realize how much work goes into it, but uh, it, it was crazy. So I, I kind of carved out my little niche. So now I'm, I'm very active on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it right now. Um, so I'm very active over there. Um, and then I also uh, admin and moderate the uh, Pacific Northwest Lorcana Discord. So if you're in the Seattle uh, area or even in Oregon or Idaho, um, we have, we're about 400 plus members right now. We're pretty active. Um, so it's kind of nice to be able to grow that local community, um, but still have my Twitter stuff to kind of people all over those people all over the place. Um, and it's really kind of exciting to see the community uh not have borders when you're talking to people and getting excited about the product. Yeah, you started out, I remember when you started doing content creation, you were doing like top 10 list and just really fun videos like that. But then you transitioned into covering the news. And like you said, once the floodgates opened and all the news came rushing out, I don't know how these guys like John T and Brandon, I don't know how they keep on top of it. Cause it's like, 
as soon as you release a video, <laughs> the next batch of news is out. And each each video, like, I don't know how long it took you to make and edit a video, but we're talking hours for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I, I was taking three, four hours to edit a 15-minute video and you know i did enjoy doing the top 10 stuff and i do do polls on twitter a lot i like to kind of engage the community that way and um i also um i'm not a comedian by trade of course but um i do like to think that i have a fairly good sense of humor so i like to post a lot of uh, comedic content um uh some kind of parody things um i've made a few flounder jokes the last couple of days i'm gonna say you're my main flounder antagonist you like to poke fun at me for that I, I it's all out of love man i i really love the whole <laughs> flounder thing um and then you know just kind of the the fun stuff between you and uh wardrobe and flounder and everything that goes into that it's just kind of a fun little thing to pick on and and, and joke around with but we, at the end of the day we're all friends and we yeah. it comes from a place of being um you know respectful obviously i'm not here to make fun of anybody but uh, i do like to do that sort of stuff and it's it's fun to pick on you guys and especially on brandon especially he's he's <laughs> i wouldn't say an easy target but he he does like to joke around and it's fun to pick on him too as well he he can dish it as well as he can take it yes he can okay so i kind of brought up the idea in the intro that today we want to talk about the current state of the meta in lorcana uh, first of all, uh, can you tell us what is meant by the term the meta? So for me, the meta is it, it means kind of the game within the game. So it's kind of trying to figure out what's popular and what people like and what's competitive and then trying to deconstruct it, reverse engineer it and figure out how to uh, beat that to where you have a deck that that can withstand and be consistent and competitive against anything. Um, so, you know, and it's it's a fluid situation, right? So for a while, especially on Pixelborn and, and in League, all you were seeing was that Ruby Amethyst deck for like two weeks. It was just Ruby Amethyst, Ruby Amethyst, Ruby Amethyst. And then now all of a sudden you have things like the Amber Steel Song deck that that I'm currently playing, which I like a lot. And it's kind of creeping into where it's, you're seeing that a little bit more and it's competitive against Ruby Amethyst a little bit, but you know, the, and it, a lot of it depends on card draw. Um, and a lot of it depends on the skill of the player you're playing as well. Um, but it, it is interesting to see it kind of tip and and go back and forth as far as which one is on top at a current moment and looking at the results from bigger tournaments where you can see what the, the decks that the top eight were playing with and kind of going from there. I will say what is most interesting to me is of all of the reports and stuff done on meta, it doesn't seem like any of the starter deck combinations are particularly popular. Uh, I know that Sapphire Steel has a little bit of traction, but um, it's interesting to see that none of the combinations that were given out um, from Lorcana have been something that is competitive in in a meta sense and i wonder if that was intentional or if that was just a byproduct of people multiple brains getting their hands on the cards and, and manipulating them and finding out what works it it could very well have been that they just put them in alphabetical order for the first set because they actually are in alphabetical order for the starter decks yeah that too my brain didn't go there but yeah yeah i mean <laughs> it's, it's really weird that they are but they're alphabetical order so it's like maybe they just throw them in and like okay let's build the best decks we can out of 
you know, the best starter decks we can. Because, you know, Ryan has mentioned that the starter decks are not meant to be really great decks. They're meant to be onboarding decks to where they're teaching you the game and getting the flow and all that kind of stuff. So they didn't have to be really good. So, I mean, they shouldn't necessarily be the meta unless someone can figure that out, which so far no one has, you know, been able to make a deck out of one of the starter decks into something that can dominate the field. Yeah, that that's true too. And I know like I play in league here. Um, I live in, in rural Kitsap County, Washington, but um, I went to league last night and I had my Amber uh, Steel song deck out and the, the gal that I was playing with was actually one of the store employees and she starts playing. And then about three turns in, I look at her and I said, are you playing the Amber and Amethyst starter deck? And she said, yeah, that's the only cards I've been able to get. And I felt terrible because I destroyed her. Um, but she was like, you no. are a gentleman. Oh, I was very polite about it. Um, but it, it was interesting to see, like, after playing so much online and playing in different formats, I was able to recognize that she had a starter deck in like three turns. And I was like, I just kind of hung my head and was like, okay, let, let me get this over with quickly because this is not going to be pretty. And then I ended up letting her use one of my other decks to play against me and things went a little bit better for her, but I still won. Well, that, that kind of brings up uh, the another question we were wanted to talk about, which is there's a difference between, as you mentioned, your local games. So the local meta. And the competitive meta, which is what we've been seeing at these bigger events, where it's like a thousand dollar or win a Twitch or whatever it may be, there's there's a difference between what you're playing locally and what you're playing, what you see playing. So, uh, what I mean, have you seen that that's what's happening, or is the competitive meta filtering down to your local meta to where that's all you're seeing? It's it's a little bit of both, to be honest. So we have I have a group that I play with, um, and I'll I'll plug the game store. So it's uh, I play at Game Wizard Blue Sky Hobbies in Bremerton, Washington. Great store, um, and there's a group of people like me who read meta reports and look at it, and then try to build those decks and then test them out and see how they do. But it's hard to test it against stuff like a, a starter deck or or somebody who's just kind of throwing together what they have, um, and then there are a group of people in this community that play it at my league that are coming from other card games and they know what type of deck that they like to play with when it comes to things like magic and Yu-Gi-Oh! and they try to mimic those they don't particularly look at the characters or the colors they just look through the colors and figure out okay this one's control this one's ramp i like that so you know you'll see them playing like a Ruby and Amethyst deck just because they like control and evasive, or you'll see someone that wants to mess around with you and they have a lot of Emerald for some reason. Um, so it, it's interesting to see where people are coming from as far as their philosophy on how to play. I have never played a TCG competitively, so I'm relying on other people and what, you know, it works to kind of figure out how this game works before I can like take the training wheels off and start building my own stuff. Um, and tinkering, uh, whereas you have people who've played for 15, 20 years in a different game, and they know what strategy they like best, and they're just waiting for future sets to give them the cards to make the decks that have been successful for them in other games. It's uh, interesting that you bring up Pixelborn, because I play a lot on there as well, and there's, I mean, the thing about Pixelborn is you can play any meta deck, because all the cards are right at your disposal, so um, you're right, that Ruby Amethyst deck was so prevalent and so oppressive. 
And when I went to my locals a couple of weeks ago, I ran into like a couple of those decks and I was like, okay, it's filtered all the way down here. One guy had like a full on meta deck. The other one, it was a very watered down one, but uh, I was like, okay, this is like not any fun to play against. So I was asking people for a counter deck and somebody suggested a Ruby Emerald evasive deck. So I threw it together and I took it to my next locals. Didn't run into a single Ruby Amethyst. Yep. Um, ran more into the the deck that you're playing, the Still Amber Song deck. And my deck just got eaten up, crushed, and destroyed. <laughs> so it's so hard to predict what exactly you're... I mean, because these were at two different shops. Um, but it's hard to predict what exactly you're going to see at your local game stores. Yeah, I've yeah, I've run into I've run into since I've been to three different shops, I've run into everything from you know someone like this is the starter deck and I threw in like five new cards because that's all I bought, now all I've been able to get all the way up to someone who is as you mentioned running a ruby amethyst fully complete, uh, meta deck you know top of the meta deck and. Uh, it's, it's been interesting because the different stores have all had those people at them, but they've all been different levels of how, how much the range is. So one store will be, there'll be a bunch of the top decks, but there'll be a lot of the mid decks as well, but nothing in the, the lower end, you know, starters only where another one will be the full range. Um, so it's, it's been interesting to see, you know, the different stores, and and it was weird because like this last week I will I will brag that I I went four and zero for the first time ever and uh, placed second only because of those percentages of opponents or whatever, but I didn't run into a single ruby amethyst in all four matches, and it was it was there was actually someone the other person who finished four and zero was a ruby amethyst player and I just didn't get matched up against them, so it was it was interesting to see that but then at, at another one with half as many people there was two or three Ruby Amethyst decks that were finishing at the top. So it's just all a matter of, of what your, what the people at your, at your local store can actually get a hold of and build. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely, you definitely see a lot of that too, because I definitely have seen um, and it, what's hard. So when you play on pixel board, like Jared was alluding to earlier, you can have every card when you go out in person, not everybody has every card. So like for instance, I was playing um, for a while. I really liked the the lemon lime aggro deck. Um, and it was just so much fun to play. It was so fast. And if you drew the right cards and Mulligan, you could pretty much guarantee you were going to start five zero uh, on anybody, just depending on what you're playing against. And when you play on Pixelborn so much, you get used to seeing the same rhythm and the same kind of strategies come out on the deck. And so when you go take that out in person. And you forget that not everybody has every card. You second guess yourself because you're like, okay, I don't want to really go wide right now because this person is playing Ruby Amethyst, and I know that they're going to come out with a, a be prepared in a second. But then they don't have be prepared in their deck because they just don't have it. So it's it's definitely you have to kind of bluff a little bit and kind of remember that you know until product is wildly available everywhere, you're you can practice as much as you want online. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to remember that not everyone's going to have exactly that same build just because they can't get all the cards. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I try to uh, tease that information out of my opponent. They'll play like a, uh, well, it'll be like turn seven and I'll be like, 
oh great here comes the be prepared song he's like no i've only got one in my deck like it's amazing how frequently people volunteer that information yeah and it is too. and it's it, like i said it works the other way too so when you have um you know when you're playing an amber deck specifically most people the turns you're going to take is you're going to put lilo down on one and you're going to put bodyguard Simba out on two so i've played with people and they're uh you know they'll take their first turn i'll take my first turn i'll put lilo out and then when they're getting ready to pass back to me for turn two they're like all right go ahead and put your simba down and i'll just start laughing because i'm like well here you go here's my buddy how is it that it happens every time like every time a lilo comes out a simba follows right after like how is it that you always get those cards in your hands yeah, I, mean, it, I don't know. It, it works, but uh, the other one, the sneaky one is if you put out uh, a Lilo and then on the next turn uh, you put out the uh, uh, the Maximus one. I've done that a few times before too where people are like, ah, or you just in time Maximus. It's like, oh, they don't like this card. Maximus is a really underrated card in my opinion. I agree. Mm-hmm. Or you put out on turn two instead of one Simba, you put out two more Lilos. Yeah, that would be annoying. Getting crazy, James. <laughs> yeah, I played I played a four-player game at League last night, and I had I I played Ruby Amethyst in that just because I was like, I don't really think this the song deck's gonna be great in four-player. And I tried the Ruby Amethyst and I had uh the baby mal out for like four turns. And I was just like, what are you guys doing? Like, get rid of it. It's it's sitting there. Just kill her. And nobody <laughs> wanted to touch it, and I just kept Question for two every time. It's okay. All so, right. So let me does, do it. That does. We've kind of talked about this, but this uh, leads me to the next thing I was going to ask is what kind of decks are you guys playing at locals? Um, so it kind of have been over, but the, the I take three decks with me. So most of the time it's, if I run into someone that doesn't have a deck, I'll say, here, play this one. Um, so I, I have a Ruby Amethyst deck. Um that's a little bit watered down just because I I kind of had to trade some Maleficent Dragons to get my my Enchanted Hades that I needed. Um, so I, I don't quite have as many dragons in my deck as the meta, but um, so I have that deck. Um, and then I have an Amber Steel Song deck um, that's pretty complete. And then I have uh, the Lemon Lime Aggro one, which I, I just like that deck because it's so much fun. So those are the three that that I take. I did take the item slinger deck for like two weeks and I just, I couldn't get into it. It's just, it, it kind of develops a little bit more slowly and I'm very impatient. So I, I quickly lost interest in trying to do that deck. Uh, I am playing Amber Steel as well. I, I think it's the song deck, but I'm not sure if it's the same variation uh, as a lot of, uh, I'm not sure how many people are running different variations of the that deck. Um, does yours have uh the Steel Hans in it or the Hades? Uh, I I think I have two Hades in mine. Um, I don't have any of the Steel Hans in mine. I just this is not in my build. Okay, I'm all I have the Turbo Tank. I, I run the Turbo Tank package in mine. So the, uh, the Rockstar? No, um, the other one, right? The Surfer? Giant. No, Tinkerbells. Tink. Yeah, giant tank. I call it turbo tank, but yeah, okay. the giant tank. And then uh, I have the rockstar stitch. I don't use the surfer in mine. Okay. Okay. Then I, I use no no legendary cards in my in my build at all. Wow. Okay. Okay. So, I use completely different version than you. Then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've learned if I see a tiny tank come out on turn three to 
probably just not quest on turn four because a giant tank is about to come out. <laughs> at least on Pixel Warren. It's it's a little different at locals, but it's like almost guaranteed. Almost. Yeah. Or they could be trying to psych you out because they want you to to not quest, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, I think awesome. I think that's what's what's really appealing about that deck is on turn three, you've got multiple opportunities to set up bigger plays on, on turn four. You've either got um, if you drop an aerial on turn three, you're pretty much guaranteed that someone's going to be playing a song, either grab your swords or or something like that on the next turn. Or if you see the Tinkerbell come out, you know that Giant Tank's probably not far behind it. So um, that's what I think is so dangerous about that game is, or that deck in particular is, you know, you're going to get out to probably a, a decent lead because of Lilo. And then you have... The, the mid game develops so quickly because of those options you have at three. Um, whereas something like the lemon lime aggro deck, you're playing usually Lilo and then you're going to play Simba and then you're going to just in time either Cusco or Mad Hatter and then run from there. Um, the problem I think with that lemon lime aggro deck is it does tend to stall out if you don't get the right draw um you know in your third fourth turn it kind of tends to stall but if you get the right cards that deck is very hard to beat yeah yeah in in the in the last week when i when i won out the only i actually it wasn't even an amber i think it was an uh amethyst emerald deck that was the only loss i took uh and it was because those emerald cards came out fast and they just quested enough and then you know, withstood the the onslaught of tinks uh, and smashes and whatnot to to last until you know by you know just get get enough lore because that thing just generates so much lore. Yeah, and I think I think that's what's interesting and and really well thought out as far as game design is. Different inks have different leverages at different um, levels. So Amber has the advantage early game with with Lilo and the. Uh, call it Simba I'm forgetting his name now so you got you know Lilo Simba and then you've got just in time that gives you that really good leverage early and then Emerald mid game I would argue the five cost Emerald cards are better than any other five cost cards in the game and then you've got uh for like Ruby late game if you can get there is super strong you've got be prepared you've got Maleficent's Dragon you've got uh Brave Little Taylor you've Aladdin. got all those yeah the the uh, Outlaw Aladdin, all those cards are really strong, but you just have to withstand the kind of surge to get there. Um, so I think it's really kind of well thought out how um, each of those decks uh, does at different times. Sapphire is really good early if you can get ramp going quickly. Um, you know, uh, Amethyst is pretty good mid game with a lot of the card draw that's in there in the middle, like this, you know, three, four, fives. Um, and then I don't. I don't even actually know where steel is great at steel depends i think on a lot of other cards to help it along specifically in amber i think it, it, you know that aerial card is just amazing yeah steel steel kind of is like that everyone thought amethyst would be the one that just just compare with everything and and help it along and it can because of the draw but steel really is the one that can pair with anything and make make that whatever you're trying to do kind of complete yeah, and I'm wondering, you know, in future sets, I, I mean, I think we'll talk about this in a little bit, but um, how many more singer cards we're going to see? Because we got two singer cards in the first set, 
and they were both amber. So obviously songs go really well with the amber deck. So it's it'd be interesting to see in future sets how many other singer cards we're going to get in different colors. The muses will have to be singers. Yes, absolutely. I, I hope they have I hope they're not just lumped in as one card because that yeah. would be kind of a waste. So in case you guys were wondering, I'm running a still sapphire deck, but it's a ramp deck, but it's done terrible for me. So I'm going to switch it up. Yeah, I saw forward. you talking about switching to something new that you're going to test out, right? Something that was at one of the tournaments this last weekend. On, uh, on the Discord, the HQ Discord, there's a username Bjornfoot. He has a deck. He calls it the Turquoise High Five. It's a Sapphire Emerald. Sounds like it runs a, very similar to the Lemon Lime Rush, Dret, Rush deck, but uh, it's like consistently just about every time I played Ruby Amethyst, I win. Like this deck just wins. And Eric from the Gamer was on Twitter and he's like, yeah, this deck isn't going to win because it has no card draw. But for me, like it's just one like over 70% of the time. So I'm still waiting on one Cusco, but once I have that, it should, that's that's what I'm going to take to locals. Yeah, it sounds good. I mean, Cusco is such a good card. I really like the Cusco card. Um, I thought you had the, all the Cuscos. Is Cusco one you're missing? Well, okay. So when I say that I have everything, it's I don't necessarily have it all in my possession because I'm still waiting on some cards to come in the mail. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, we so, had a fun, we had a fun deck that I'd never seen before come up at locals the other night, and the guy it was more theme deck than anything, um, but it was uh, amber and ruby, and the guy called it Hawaiian Punch because basically if there was a Lilo and Stitch card, it was in that deck. Um, so he had a lot of the red stitches, and then all the the amber characters from Lilo and Stitch. But I just thought it was a clever name, but it, it did okay. It just wasn't like anything special he was just kind of you know dinking around with it to see if it was any fun it's fun um, but the name was cool yeah <laughs> yeah you know how i like to name decks where's the ding dong <laughs> <laughs> so so let's talk a bit about the competitive meta and uh shout out to the guys over at the forbidden mountain for putting this together uh, but let's take a look at the three competitive tournaments that happened last week and the breakdown of the decks that were in that turn in those tournaments. Um, and it looks like, as expected, Ruby Amethyst was a majority. It was nearly half. Um, let me get this a little bigger so I can see the percentages. 46%, basically. 21% were Amber Steel. And the next two largest uh, numbers were Sapphire Steel at 8% and Emerald Amethyst at 8%. So what do we think of what's in the meta and, you know, where do we think maybe it's going to be headed as maybe people figure out something that's going to beat Ruby Amethyst, maybe? Well, I think that... Um... If if you ran a tournament this weekend, I think those numbers would be skewed a little bit more just based off what I've been seeing online and, and in person. I think that Amber Steel percentage will probably be a little bit higher and take out a little bit of chunk of that Amber Amethyst. I think it might, you might see like 40% Amber Amethyst and maybe like 25 to 30% Amber Steel. Um, the interesting thing from this graph to me 
is all the different variations with sapphire in them that people are trying out because to me that just means that people are like okay how do we get ramp to work and be competitive in this game so it is interesting to me i think let's see one two three four of the other six decks that people seem to be trying out so what is that like 65 percent of the decks that people are trying out because that's what that's what those wedges tell me is this is what people are trying out so 65 percent of that people are trying to use ramp in some way um so i would be interested to see if one of those variations uh gains any traction over the next couple weeks and, and gets more popular um and kind of becomes that third kind of leg of the of the tripod so to speak because i think the ramethyst is here to stay i think amber steel's definitely gaining ground and then what's the third one you know because i think that's that's kind of what you're going to see well, um, going forward i'll speak to that sapphire emerald one because that's the same deck that i've been trying out the guy that does the uh first to 20 uh lurk uh twitter account this this was him and this was at uh one of the uh, conventions in uh, florida i believe and they he got to top eight and they decided to call it a night and just split the top cut between the eight people. But he was the number three seed. He had beat the number one seed, um, which was a Ruby Amethyst deck, I believe. Um, and he he feels really good about it. Like, I'm just saying, I think that this deck has a future. We'll see. Fingers crossed. It, it very well could. And I think, uh, again, when all things are the same and everybody has the same cards, skill really plays a big factor in it. So. Um, someone who maybe knows the rhythm of the other decks really, really well and knows exactly how to leverage that um, can be dangerous no matter what they're playing. I find it interesting that Ruby is only in the Ruby Amethyst deck. It is not used for any others that people are trying out. That is that is interesting. Because um, I know before we even had our hands on cards, I thought that Ruby Steel was going to be really good. Right. Um, and I don't I don't think I've seen it in weeks. Mm-hmm. Even people just playing around with it for fun. Um, so that's I mean, and again, I am not a TCG expert. I am learning as I go. So yeah. Uh shows <laughs> <Same>. I, <know. laughs> I mean it, it's I mean if you look at it where Ruby is being used is with amethyst, amethyst with the card draw, which is kind of what it needs because you can't you can't run out of options. You have to have those options that Ruby and Amethyst afford you, and you have to have them available to you pretty much all the time in order to make that work. Because as soon as you're top decking, you don't have all the answers to what your opponents can play necessarily. And that's when Ruby Amethyst fails, I think. Yeah, I think that's where the dinner bell card from set two is going to come in clutch for a Ruby. Because now we'll finally have its own card draw so it won't have to rely on amethyst yeah that's true i i do think too what's really interesting to me um just from an outsider's perspective is some of the more popular and i guess expensive staple cards are not legendary cards um i think the the green beast card is like three dollars right now um whereas the the lilo which is just a rare i mean it's not even a super rare is consistently selling for like $14, $15. And if you're playing an Amber deck, you have to have four Lilos in your deck. I mean, it's just kind of a requirement right now. So that's, to me, what is really interesting. Same thing with Cusco. Cusco is a, just a rare. 
but it's a very popular card if you run into an, an emerald deck um it, and it's just not something that i would have you know john silver and beast are not expensive cards to get um some of the legendaries you know elsa ursula hades the Bell. dragon they're yeah bell they're they they're really expensive uh rapunzel is very expensive but then you have for all those you have gantu john silver beast and taka i don't think i've ever seen anybody play taka ever no in in, in a in, in person i've never seen that card played i haven't seen either of the takas played I think I saw one of them. I think I saw the Reckless one, possibly. I can't remember exactly, but I don't think I recall seeing one just because it's like, well, I got it, so I'm going to use it kind of yeah. situation. Yeah, and then same thing with Gantu. It's like, he's he's not good. I, I definitely have never seen a Gantu in a deck played against me. Well, I know. I don't know if it was in the HQ Discord. It probably was, because that's where the Disney Lurkana social team is pretty active, but uh, they said somewhere they're like, don't forget that future cards will make prior cards more relevant. So I wonder if they have Gantu in mind with that one. Yeah. Well, there's I, so many cards. I, I definitely see that too. And it's, I, I think that was in the discord. I, I did see that, but, and it might, I think somebody may have retweeted it too, but um, it was something along the lines of, you know, long forgotten cards from old sets are going to pop up, you know, randomly when we put out a card in set four that you need, you know, all of a sudden, you need something that you just didn't even think about, you know, like, Oh my God, I need like all the Mickey uh, artful rogues all of a sudden, because that card is now important. But um, yeah, it is, <laughs> it's, it's definitely interesting to see what cards are kind of meh right now. And then, uh, you know, I have at my league specifically, I took all my common bulk um, and just said, if you guys need stuff, take it. And I just left it in the middle of the table um, for the common cards. And the first thing everybody said was, do you have any Simbas? Yeah. I, I need four Simbas. And I was like, okay, we'll take there. If they're there, take them. So um, that's, that's another interesting part of this game to me. So that's kind of the meta as it stands currently. It's, it's interesting what you said about the, the three dominant, decks i guess there probably is room for a third one that ruby amethyst uh amber steel and a third one that's yet to be revealed um we'll see but uh well we kind of talked about this a little bit but where where do we think the meta might head in the future and whether that's in this current set one or if we're speculating about set two and beyond well what would what do you think is going to happen or what would you like to see happen I'll I mean, start for for me personally. Um, I kind of like right now that there's. I mean, it's hard to say that there's not one dominant deck when forty eight percent of the top eight decks were Ruby Amethyst. <laughs> but I do like that just about every ink color has a fighting chance. Um, I've been experimenting with so many different deck types over the last little while. And everyone has its strengths and everyone has its disadvantages. Like it's almost frustrating because I just want a deck that will win me 90% of the time. <laughs> um, I, I think I'd like to see that continue. And I don't know how they designed the game to be balanced like that uh, forever. But I do like going into a game knowing that 
it's gonna be a, a battle one way or the other unless uh it's a ruby amethyst deck and you don't have the right one yeah i i think as far as like where i see the meta going obviously i think the best answer is there's probably four people in the world that know um and uh like luckily for me i i live in an area where a lot of the Ravensburg employees live. I live very close to uh, Ryan Miller. I live very close to Shane. I live very close to Steve Warner. The CM lives very close to me. I've actually met a few of them. Um, but it's it's almost funny in a way because I'm sure if you asked them and said, hey, set one, here's what people are playing. And they looked at it and they were thinking because they're already on you know set three, four in their brain going, Really? That's that's what everybody's playing with, and I've I wondered that too. That's what's <laughs> thought about, be like funny, right? Is is three four sets down the road? You're going to show up to an event, and someone's still going to be playing Amber Steel, and you're going to be like, Amber Steel was so 2023. Like that's that's not something we mess around with now. It's not very good. Um, but it also, I'm interested to see, you know, a year, two years down the road what staple cards are still staple cards you know like are we are there any cards that regardless of, of if there's like a, a rotation or a ban list or anything what cards are still standing the test of time this time next year is lilo still a required play if you're amber you know um brave little taylor seemed like for a while it was in the meta and now it just seems like nobody really has a brave little taylor they're more focused on you know Dragonfire and maleficent and be prepared uh, and then having your Ursula's and your Elsa's in there, so um, I, I will I will be actively looking at how this kind of unfolds. And um, I think the the difference between the last year where we got cards and we had no idea how everything was going to work, and now is we see a card reveal, and now instead of ooh look at the shiny art, it's how does this fit into my deck? How does this change things? You know, the the Bell Archer, for example, came out and everybody was like, ooh, is this going to replace Cusco in the Lemon Lime deck? Um, so I think that that's going to be more the discussion as we move forward, and, and I'm interested to see where that goes. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun seeing all the different things that, that as everything shifts, because the the meta is going to, I mean, essentially it has to shift because they're 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 actively going to be trying to change things so that it's not the same all the time because that would that's one of the things that from what i understand will make a card game go stale and people not be interested as much as if the same thing continuously keeps winning and no one can do anything different like if the control deck the ruby amethyst control deck if that stays as the top of the meta a lot of people are going to just get upset and be like well what's the point of playing one and a half games in my best of 3 and losing like for 55 minutes every time it's like that's no fun i'm gonna go play a different game so it it definitely has to shift in in their plans and i know that they didn't want a control deck to be the the top deck uh i think that was actually what ryan said that in one of the video interviews when he was maybe in the gamer interview where he was teaching uh, eric how to play i think he mentioned that they don't want control decks to be the top deck um so yeah, I think it's interesting that it became the top deck, and it's and it's a very oppressive top deck for playing against, uh, where matches take forever, and it's just you know, it's no fun. So I think we're gonna see some changes. Uh, I don't know if they with the thing is is that there's so many people playing the game and so many minds working on the game 
that it's going to go in directions that they don't anticipate because they only have so many games they can play and so many minds working on the game in their little bubble uh, for however many sets ahead they are. So we're going to see some stuff that's going to change than they didn't expect. And I, I'm hoping that that just continually evolves and that we can all have some fun trying to figure out. So I mean, if, if you look at that graph with that big giant chunk of ruby amethyst and then the smaller chunk of amber steel and then all that other stuff, all that other stuff is people trying to figure things out, trying to figure out ways into those other decks to beat them. Even if it won't be a deck that can beat everything, it's people trying to figure out how to beat the things that are at the top right now to, to mess with that meta. And that's going to keep continually changing things as we go and, and where that's headed. Who knows? That's, that's the fun thing is where, where it's going to go is the fun part of finding it out. I hope I get to play a ramp deck someday. That's my I know, dream. Right? I, I'm, yeah, I've tried to make fun. it work. It's, it's It definitely looks cool when you're on turn three and you've got like five, six ink out and you're like, okay, what are you going to do? Um, but to, to James's point, I think you made a really good point there too about if there's one consistent pairing that is just oppressive to all the other decks. The other thing it's going to do is when you talk about the secondary market and, and players out there trying to play, we know right now cards are pretty difficult to find. But if, if there's only one deck out of out of you know however many iterations if you're only 30 percent of the cards are worth anything you're going to see a lot less people actively buying sealed product and you're going to see prices in one specific area spike and people only buying those cards and it's going to price people out of of playing in a different way right now people are priced out of playing because products is hard to find and it costs so much to get into it but if that continues to happen where we only have one deck that's consistent and you know the meta um you're gonna see those card values just spike and then nobody's gonna be able to afford to buy those cards yeah and and add on top of that that the that particular deck uses what four legendaries five something like that uh yeah consistently uses four legendaries it's an expensive deck that's it's an for expensive sure deck. yes yeah. yeah so i guess we'll just have to see uh just where it goes so last question uh before the recording we asked well jared asked us to rank the inks from best to worst and so now let's go over our lists well let's start with the best and i'll just start I'm going to go say the best ink is Amethyst right now. What, what about you, Ross? Oh, um, so I, my favorite, well, as far as what I think is the best, I'm going to say it's Steel, just because I think that the pivotal part for me in the games I've played is turns like four, five, and six. And I honestly don't think that there's there's cards that are better to change the game than what's available in that range uh, in Steel. I just really like the songs are great. Um, you can pivot. If you can tell someone's building up to something, you can drop a, a whole new world and just move on. And then I think the giant Tinkerbell is probably the best card in the whole set right now. I wouldn't argue with that. I'm I'm going to say Amethyst as well. So I agree with Jared that Amethyst, and I, and I think the main reason for me is just that it's the card draw and yep. then the big finishers with uh, with Elsa and Ursula as as you get up there with that card draw. And so I think it's just got a lot of a lot of weapons uh, into it. 
when I see that Elsa drop, I just like almost want to quit. I know it's just like oh, <laughs> so demoralizing. <laughs> okay, interesting. So we did have some differences in the top. So let's go with uh, our second best ink for me. Uh, I wanted to put steel, but I went with amber. What about you, Ross? What's your second? Um, so I, I guess we're going in the same order every time. I oh, also the same put, order. I, I put amber as my second best. I just think one, it it makes steel so much more efficient than steel because that's the thing I think is problem with steel is it's not very efficient on its own. Um, but amber makes it so much more efficient. Aerial is just a nightmare if you're playing steel song deck. Um, the Lilo and Simba combination at the beginning is just kind of a get you out the guns real quick. Um, and then Rockstar Stitch is a brutal card to run into late game. Um, and I just, I like, there's a lot of bodyguards, so there's a lot of protection. Um, Rapunzel's a great card. I don't personally have it in my deck just because A, I don't have four Rapunzel's and B, I, I, I've never really got into a situation where I've needed a lot of healing. Um, but I, I think that Amber just has a lot of utility as far as making other decks work well, um, whether it's Steel or Emerald or or other, you know, it's something I've seen a lot of people play it with the uh, Amethyst deck as well. Um, but yeah, I like Amber a lot. I will agree with uh, both of you because I picked Amber for my second as well. And for a lot, uh, basically all the same reasons uh, as I'm playing it, it's, it's the, those are the cards that are, like you said, they're, they're the thing that allows steel to do what it does. It's the engine. It's the, it's bringing out the songs. It's getting that card draw with whatever version you're using of Amber. Cause there is actually a whole bunch of really good card draw that is not direct card draw, but it's a whole bunch of it built into Amber. And it's really nice for making sure you always have options in your hand to play as you're playing uh, through, you know, from the beginning all the way until the end game. Well, it's also really annoying. I know not every Amber deck runs it, but when somebody plays a You Have Forgotten Me and you have to discard two of your cards, that is like the worst ever. I love doing that to people. Yeah, I like playing... uh... I like doing like whole new world. And then right after that, I'll play you have forgotten me. So it's like, people are excited. They're like, Oh, I got all these new cards. And then it's like, yeah, you can go ahead and throw those two of those away. <laughs> all right. Number three for me, uh, it's steel. Um, and I, I mean, any one of these three, you can make an argument for being the best, but steel is just so good. It has the removal. It has the early pressure with hook and Eric has giant tank has, even baby tank with her filtering ability is very useful a lot of times uh still definitely got shafted in the legendary department but uh i mean all the cards from the ones up through the sixes are just phenomenal um a whole new world when it works it works so well uh for my third i went with amethyst and at a certain point you can't deny card draw. I think card draw is is obviously one of the more important parts of this game, just based off how many games end in people top decking. Um, and then obviously the two legendary crushers at the end with Elsa and Ursula are just kind of those two together is the best legendary pairing of any of the inks. Um, I just think in, in a lot of the games in the way that I like to play the game, I don't often get to six or seven or eight ink. I'm usually, most of my games end and I'm at like six. So um, that's why I moved it down on the list. But yeah, card draw, 
card draw is really really nasty to go against um especially if you're uh if you're trying to play aggro and people just have so much more options than you have in your hand so amethyst at three i am matching jared again because <laughs> i am saying steel and for the same reasons it's such a utility it's such got such powerful cards in there uh I, I find that it's just so much fun playing the cards that are available because it's, again, it's not, as Amber is not direct draw, it's uh, Amber, I mean, Steel is not direct removal. It's just so much damage you can put out that it's essentially removal. And you can just go wide on all those aggro decks. Uh, and it's it's so much fun uh being able to just wipe out boards and not have to worry about all those characters that your opponent just put out the last three turns. Having Ariel search for uh, grab your swords and then sing in the next turn is brutal. It is, especially if you also have a Tink come out and then all of those three willpower characters you don't have to worry about anymore. Yeah, and so I think well, all three of us, we ended up in, in some form or fashion, we all had Steel, Amber, and Amethyst as our top three. Yeah. Okay. All right, number four. This one is moving into the, into the toss-up territory for me. It's debating between Ruby or Emerald, but at the end of the day, I have to go with Ruby just because it does have a lot of those late-game finishers, and it has Dragonfire. It has Be Prepared, which is the catalyst for making those late-game Amethyst cards work. You uh, quest, Be Prepared, reset the board, and then you drop an Aladdin or an Elsa. Um, Ruby is... I mean, the other thing Ruby has going for it is uh, Gaston and Maui with Rush. Those two are just bruisers for removing um, your opponent's characters from the board. So for, for me, at number four, I had to go with Emerald. Um, I, I do play it in my, in my Lemon Lime aggro deck. But what I like about Emerald is that uh, I, I often put the meme up of the Joker from the Dark Knight where he's telling Batman to hit him. I, that's what I like about it. it. There's so many cards that you're just baiting your opponent to challenge you and not quest um, because the, the lore values on a lot of the Emerald cards are a lot higher compared to the stats on other inks. Um, but that's because of the effects that they have and people are almost forced to make a decision like, okay, do I need to challenge him or can I beat them to the finish line? Um, and, and I really like that. Uh, the only reason it's a little bit farther down my list, um, there's not a lot of card draw. There's there's a, very little. And if Steel has the worst two legendaries, I think Emerald has the second worst two. Um, I don't think I've ever really, Beast is just kind of a weird card now. I know there's a beast coming in the second set, so I'm wondering if the new beast will make this beast better. But I just I don't like the beast card. And then John Silver is great, but I just you know I, I don't run into it a whole lot. Um, I will say I think the card with the most potential upside um, is Mother Gothel. That card is just sucks if someone can pull it off and get it out and play it against you. Um, every time I've seen it come out, someone will instantly try to dragon fire it um just because she's so hard once she starts questing and you can't do anything you're basically just 
pitching your characters away to try to get rid of her because she's she's got a decent stat line on her um and she's just dangerous so i like a lot of the cards in there but it's it's kind of clunky right now to me um so that's why it's a little bit farther down my list yeah i went with emerald too actually for fourth place and mainly just because uh it has a lot of options but most of its options are or are lower lore that are the better options for this color and so i felt that that was better than uh some of the others where their options are all at the higher uh lore you know e-cost so i felt like with all of the things it can do early in the game that i felt that that helped uh, elevate it just a little bit above the other ones that are left but also because of all the reasons that ross said <laughs> so for number five i went with emerald so i may as well put in my piece about emerald i i love emerald for all the reasons that you guys said but it just feels like a clunky ink um that doesn't have like a real cohesive identity it has like lots of fun shenanigans in it and like we were talking about off the air the five drops in emerald are probably the best you got Cusco, mad hatter and who else am i missing or is that it well, the soon-to-be new bell. <laughs> yeah, the new, That's the right. New bell. Um, well, and and Hans at a four-drop. Yeah. So I mean, the the pressure that Emerald can put on in the early game is just second to none. But, um, and and Flynn, I love Flynn as well. He's a great card. But uh, at the end of the day, with the very little draw power, you only have Mad Hatter, and it's just hard to make an emerald deck flow really well even though i'm sitting here singing the praises of sapphire emerald <laughs> uh, for me it's it's and, and you can see it in those pie charts like there's not you can see in that pie chart there's not a lot of emerald in the top eight so that's why i put it as number five um for me uh i put sapphire at five i like ramp is great, right? Like it's it's great. It allows you to get those bigger bodies out earlier. But I just it's such a it's it seems kind of counterproductive to say this, but in all of the sapphire decks that I've seen, it's such a slower burn than than the other decks. You know, there is not a sapphire rush deck out there. It just doesn't exist. Ramp is designed to help you get big bodies out like sooner so it pairs well if you're trying to play with ruby or if you're trying to play with amethyst and get you know to your elsa or your ursula or your maleficent's dragon but um there's like four cards in in sapphire that i like and that's probably about it you know i like um i like one jump ahead i like grandma tala i like detective mickey i like develop your brain they're all decent cards but then later on there's a lot of cards and like the items. I just, I'm not a big item guy. Um, I don't really like all those cards because they, I, I want characters that do stuff. So I, I don't really play a lot of Sapphire, um, but I do definitely enjoy the ramp aspect of it. And I'm hopeful that um, down the road, we get some ramp and some other colors that maybe is a little bit more beneficial. So that's why I don't like Sapphire as much. And I picked Ruby. So mainly because it's it's got all those big drops and they're all so powerful and it has the evasives and it just has so much it can do, but it's just more costly and harder to get to than than Emerald. So that's the main reason why 
Ruby was after Emerald for me. All right, so last place, and this pains me to say it, because ever since the D23 set with the Robin Hood, I've wanted to be a Sapphire main player, and I've played a lot of Sapphire, so I have a good feeling for this deck. And I think, Ross, the thing you're missing out on Sapphire is that once you are able to get to those bigger bodies, like you five drop that Maleficent with a three, six body and three lore, she's a threat that has to be answered. And then you have Mufasa right behind her with a four, six, three. And then you have Chief Tui and King Triton. And these guys are all just like bruisers. Um, for me, that was the fun part of ramping, uh, was getting those big bodies out. But at the end of the day, it's just really, 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 really difficult to get a Sapphire deck to a, a ramp Sapphire deck specifically, which is kind of its identity to win against anything that's meta or just off meta. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. So the my least favorite deck and the worst deck to me is, is Ruby. Um, it's super powerful. The issue I have with it is it's almost one note. It, it, and it was this was very evident during reveal season. It was like, all right, here's a cool Tigger card. It's evasive. Here's a Goofy card. It's evasive. Here's Pongo. It's evasive. It just kind of got to the point where I was like, hey, when are we going to get the next evasive Ruby card? Um, and I, I don't know how many there are, but it just seems like all of them are evasive to the point where, uh, what's the point, really? Um, and there's there's a lot of other cards out there that, that are great. You know, Steel can handle evasives because um, it has a lot of, like broad damage that doesn't bother worrying about evasive so um I, that's one of the reasons i don't like it um it does have some lore theft in it with aladdin um with both aladdins um and then there's another card that i forget rapunzel rapunzel there you go um that that does lore theft um you can tell i don't play a lot of it because i can't remember all the cards um i'm hoping that maybe they they play with that a little bit more um in set two as far as uh, what Ruby's all about. Uh, but to me, I just, it's just one note for me and I don't really like it. Now, the cards at the end are great. Be Prepared is a great card. Maleficent's Dragon is a great card, but I just, getting there is not as fun for me. Um, and that's why I don't I don't play hardly any, I do play Ruby Amethyst just because that's what everybody's playing. Uh, but it's not something that I enjoy as much as my other decks that I play. And I picked Sapphire as well. And uh, I think the earlier comment where, uh, Ross, you mentioned that Emerald just really doesn't have an identity. I think that's the opposite is true for Sapphire. It has a very specific identity, but it's not fully formed in its ability to carry out what it's supposed to do. Because you have all that ramp and it's like, where do you go and how do you make it work? Because you may be able to ramp, but then you're sitting there with top decking or not being able to play the or not getting the right stuff in your hand once you do have all of that ink sitting there it's like what do you do with all that ink the game usually doesn't last long enough to use it so i think that they need more stuff in sapphire to make the ramp work better so you don't have to rely on a second color to do it um so that's mainly why i don't like uh why i put it at the bottom it's just because it just it just doesn't work in the current uh set of cards that it has I will say the other thing Sapphire has going for it is Let It Go and Hades. Those are both. Those are awesome. Those are really cards. annoying to play against. Yes. 
Yeah, I have Hades is as most people know is my favorite character, but every time I see that blue Hades come out, I just roll my eyes because it's usually I've just played you know something great. Like I've usually just either put out a, a giant tank or I've put out or I've shifted into like Rockstar Stitch, and then they're like, nope, that's going in the inkwell, and it's like, ha, oh, so annoying. Yes, so annoying. I wanted I wanted to mention uh, I was I was playing a game. Uh, I think it was two weeks ago at one of the uh, one of the locals, and this is this is kind of leading. This is kind of part of uh, the whole thing about like why we're doing this podcast. Podcast our, our TCG journey, and I, I was playing a game with my Amber Steel deck, and I think I was playing. It might have been a, a a mirror match, but I had uh, I had I was top decking. It was later in the game, and. My opponent had actually it wasn't a mirror match, was it? Because they had Facilier on board with the the one who puts the the cards back in their hand when you banish them, which is horrible to play against if they're doing it right. Um, but I, I drew. You have forgotten me, and they had nothing in their hand, and I'm like, well, that's great. That's useless for me for right now. This could be ink, but you know. So I'm sitting there looking at my my board with the the characters. They had like three characters on board. I had like four characters on board, and I was trying to figure out what I could do. And not being a very seasoned TCG veteran who knows all of the the play lines and everything to do, it took me while I was sitting there trying to figure out what to do and like doing the few things without like maybe uh, doing a little bit of questing or whatever it was I could do that I had for what I had available. It occurred to me in the middle of the turn what i could do where i could challenge into some of their characters get them back into their hand because of facilier and then play the for you have forgotten me to get those cards actually into the banished pile instead of coming back to hand awesome <laughs> and it's something like that where there's all of these things that are in these cards and in the way you can play and all the combos you can do that is so much fun to learn as we're going through this and and that's that kind of to me is kind of like how the meta is working is people are figuring things out as we go and figuring out what the best things to do are and it was just like a little microcosm of the whole journey we're on the meta and everything all wrapped in like one hand one one little play yeah and i I, i've definitely seen that too where it's I'll play something and then immediately I'll just kind of roll my eyes and my opponent will be like second guessing that a little bit. And I'm like, yeah, I, if I would have played it in this order, it might've made a little more sense. Like you're talking about. Um, and, and I think that's, what's, what's rewarding for me is, you know, as someone who is, has not played TCGs in almost 20 years, it's or more than 20, yeah, 24 years since the last time I played a TCG. Oh, I'm old. Um, <laughs> it's it's interesting that you can get that instant feedback with yourself. Like you can play it, and then based off what your opponent does next, you can go, ah, maybe next time I should do that, and I shouldn't do those cards in the same order. And that's rewarding for me um, because I feel like I'm I'm gaining knowledge and learning as I go, as opposed to you know on a board game, it's like okay, here's my here's what I need to go. I need to roll this to get to the end and and play this card, and I'm done. So I like that aspect of of how this is kind of evolving. That's awesome. I enjoy both of those. Um, shall we move into the ending segments here? Yes, we have a Lorcana lexicon. And what I'm is gonna, it this week? 
No, I'm going to let you take this one, James, because you're the one that came up with it. I didn't come up with it. I've just seen it. So I figured let's talk about it. It is the BDIF. And what is the BDIF? And according to what I've seen, the BDIF is the best deck in format. And that's basically what we're talking about is the meta, but it's like the 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 one deck. It's it's the one ring of of decks, basically. It's the one deck that rules them all, which currently is Ruby Amethyst. Uh, so it's whatever the one deck is that's doing the best in any particular game or format of a game. So like Magic has, I don't know, 8 million different formats now. So it's whatever deck is ruling any one of those particular formats. Not the best Magic deck, but the best deck in the particular format that you're playing. That makes sense. Okay. And for the news, we had a new card revealed. Just one? Just one. We, we got spoiled last week with like 13. <laughs> you just got one. Didn't we do the math and said that they could reveal like 20 <laughs> cards a week? Between Something like now that. And release? So far, we're at one this week. <laughs> and what is it? It's an Amethyst card. It's an action. <laughs> it's one cost. Has... Uh, a picture of Winnie the Pooh. He's trying to climb out of his house or something and he's stuck. And that's the name of the card. I'm stuck. And it reads, chosen exerted character can't ready at the start of their next turn. And it's a common card. And it's a, it's a great card for controlling your opponent. Yeah, like Amethyst needed more stuff to control people, right? Right. And it's only one cost. Yeah. Yeah, and it's inkable. I mean, in my mind, that's just that's just extra fodder for the inkwell in most cases. Any other thoughts on this? It's, to me, uh, I'm sure they have a marketing strategy. Uh, to me, it's interesting to see almost the... Because they've had these cards for months now. So they've known what they have. And it's interesting to see that they are reacting to community feedback. There were so many people that were upset that Tigger was the only Winnie the Pooh character in the first set um, that it's interesting to me that the first couple of card reveals have been Winnie the Pooh. And they've leaned really hard into the Honey Wizard uh, with with all the material and stuff like that. So, uh, or the deck, the mats and other stuff. So that's interesting to see to me in real time how companies are able to uh pivot their marketing strategy so um i'm interested to see the react you know if we're going to get um atlantis cards at some point if we're going to get some more uh treasure planet because a lot of people were really excited that treasure planet was in the game uh we've already seen one great mouse detective card so that'll you know that's kind of interesting uh we saw tiana which i think a lot of people we're really vocal about why is Tiana not in this game. Um, the next one I'm kind of interested to see if we get sooner rather than later is Snow White. Um, just because I was shocked that Snow White was not in the first set, uh, just because of what she means to Disney and what, um, you know, historically what Snow White meant. Um, so that was interesting. And the same thing with Tiana, I was shocked we had like 18 Dr. Facilier cards of some sort, and we had no Tiana, so I'm glad that she's in the game. I'm sure that we will probably get more than one Tiana in the second set, at least I hope so. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what they do with some of the other characters that uh, were maybe a little bit underrepresented 
Um, and then I think they've already said that they're going to have Ryan the Last Dragon, they're going to have Zootopia, Jungle Book, um, and I think there's one other one that I can't remember that wasn't in the first set that is, and they've said will be in the second set. Um, but nice to see some some mix and match of some other uh, franchises that weren't as adequately represented first set. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I think I think the part of the marketing strategy is uh, kind of like giving people a feast for however for whichever fans are of a specific uh franchise and then other people just like you see what that feast that they got over there well here's a few breadcrumbs and we're promising you a feast later so uh it's just basically like yeah we're gonna throw in one snow white and one treasure planet and look what we did for frozen they got 14 cards your 14 cards are coming soon so why don't you just keep coming and seeing what's in all of these upcoming sets and you'll get your feast soon. So I think that's kind of what they're doing is they're just kind of seeding it that like, yeah, you can see that what we're going to do is you'll get some cards by, you know, like here, there's one Winnie the Pooh and here's one treasure planet. So you can expect to get more cards later. So I, I don't know if I'm allowed to, but if if I can ask a question of you guys, what is for you guys, is there is there a character or a franchise that wasn't included in set one that you really want in set two? Goodness. I mean, I know Jared's. Another flounder? No. Oswald. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Definitely Oswald, but I would say as far as movies or IPs, um, we've already seen a card with the Great Mouse Detective. That was one of those deeper cut movies that um I grew up with and am happy to see some representation and as early as the second chapter. So that that one has me excited, but yes, I hope we get Oswald and Hortensia and Horace and Clarabelle and all those early characters. They they hit so many of my favorites in the first set. It's it's difficult to think of any specific thing. I mean, jeez, uh, I don't know. I mean, I just want to see more stuff. Uh, honestly, I I just. I'm so excited. I'm so happy that they're doing Raya because some of the newer stuff like Moana and Raya, it was so good. And I, I'm really happy that they're bringing those in. So I don't know if there's anything that I'd point to and say that, you know, I, they absolutely have to do this in order to keep me because they've already done so many things that I'm enjoying that they, they put into the set where we know are coming. Let's be honest. Yeah. Do you want frozen too? <laughs> I'm good. I I agree with you. I'm not going anywhere. This game, I'm already like in love with it, obviously. But um, for me, I I really want to see the Black Cauldron get a little bit of of attention, just because it's you know it was one of the best Disney movies I think put out at the absolute worst time. You know, it was you know right at the beginning of the Disney Renaissance, and it just it didn't fit with anything else. And this is where it fits in a game that's made like this. The Black Cauldron makes so much sense. There's a lot of characters in it that are magic or see the future or heroes and villains. I think it fits really, really well with this game. So I hope at some point that we get to see the Horn King, um, Gurgi, Henwin. You know, I want to see all those characters. So hopefully. If if Ravensburg is listening, uh, please put the Black Cauldron in your game. Was uh, Pinocchio the other one that was going to be added? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. what it was. Pinocchio, yeah. Which that was shocking to me too. I, I could, you know, I had a hard time understanding why um, Pinocchio wasn't in there. And obviously, with the uh, I think with the the fairy archetype, 
the blue fairy obviously will make an appearance at some point. Um, but there's a lot of, um, I think the problem with Pinocchio is there's really only like three characters that people remember. Um, and then you get into the deep cuts where you've got like um, Gideon and Honest John and Stromboli and Monstro and Lampwick and characters like that. But people only remember Geppetto, Pinocchio, Blue Fairy. That's that's pretty much what people remember about Pinocchio, at least in a, in a younger demographic. Jiminy Cricket. Um, yeah, Jiminy, uh, you know, he's a good character too. I, I you know, and then there's I, a bunch of people that are big fans of Disney cats for some reason. Um, so Cleo's probably uh, has some fans for some reason. I don't know why. Or uh, no, it wasn't. Was the cat's name Cleo or was the I think fish? The fish was Cleo. Fish was Cleo. Figaro. 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 Sorry. So I apologize to all the cat fans out there. But um, yeah, so that that is shocking to me. It's, it's you know it's obviously a classic Disney movie. So um, I'm interested to see how many cards from Pinocchio we get. Um, but glad that it's being represented. And Jungle Book, I'm glad is being represented as well. So speaking of trivia, that's a perfect segue into Disney Jeopardy. And we actually Ross is a huge. Well, you're a Hades fan. Are you a Hercules fan or just Hades? Hercules is the best Disney movie that's ever been made. Okay. So this is a Jeopardy segment just for you. And I have a couple of tough ones at the end. First one or the last one. I don't even know if they... Anyway, we'll get to it. Are you ready for 100? This is the name of Hercules trainer. Oh, Philatides. Ding, ding, ding. Easy. Okay. For 200. This is what Hercules pulls out of the river to fight the river guardian. He pulls out of the river. He hits him with a fish. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. Okay. This is the city that Hercules makes his hero debut in. Uh, I believe that would be Thebes. Correct. Okay. Three for three so far. For 400. In the song, Zero to Hero, the muses said, Point him at a monster and you're talking SRO. This is what SRO stands for. Oh no. Um, <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know what SRO means. This has stuck with me because when I was a kid, I got those Disney adventure magazines. That was like the only mail that I got. And this was a, a trivia question in there. It stands for standing room only SRO. Oh, okay. Now you know. Okay. Yeah. Can you put <laughs> a little the more you know graphic just goes across the screen? <laughs> For 500. And if you get this, then I'll owe you uh, a booster pack or something. Oh. This is the name of Hercules' Earth father. So not Zeus. His adopted oh, father. Oh. Um, uh, it's like... Uh, Amphitryon. What? Are you serious uh, right now? Yes. How? How did you know so, that? So I'll tell you, there's two reasons I know that. <laughs> One, Hercules is the greatest Disney movie ever made. Uh, second, um, my kids listen to this podcast called Greeking Out uh, that National Geographic does. So small plug for that. If you if you like Greek mythology, go listen to Greeking Out. It's amazing. And they were listening to a Hercules one like two days ago. And I remember that it was Amphitryon was the name of the dad. Wow. Congratulations. Well done. I, I'm shocked. I am. 
I missed God. one. I didn't get all of them. So, but technically, that had nothing to do with Hercules. Yeah, it's I, just I, what I, does these initials mean? Yeah, but it, but it's from the Hercules movie. It's from a it song. It is. It's it an is. acronym from a song that was. It wasn't. I guess that term would not have been used in Greek times. Exactly. Because all of them, they didn't have chairs anyway. They all stood the whole time anyway. So it was all standing room only. <laughs> all right. Let's wrap this up. So uh, if people want to find you online, Ross, where can they find you? Um, so I have a small YouTube channel, uh, which is Lorconadad. I'm basically Lorconadad everywhere. Um, but I am uh, Lorconadad on YouTube. On Twitter, you can find me at Lorconadad. Uh, please follow me. I'm doing a giveaway right now. I've got a couple of days left, or maybe I think. By the time this comes out, it might be over, but I'm giving away a full common playset. Um, and then I have an Instagram, uh, which is also at Lorconadad. And then if you live in the Pacific Northwest, uh, shoot me a message on uh, Twitter and I can invite you to the Pacific Northwest um, Discord. Um, we are a super fun group. Uh, one of the things that I, sticks out for me that we do is we actually right now are doing hunting parties. Uh, so we actually have people who go out and we'll we'll say, hey, we're gonna go out from like two to four and we'll live chat with everybody. Hey, I'm at Target in this town and they have boosters who wants any and then they'll they'll meet up later that day. So that's kind of a fun thing we do to help the community as far as like combating scalping and things like that. So I'm um, really active there. Um, but yeah, you can find me in the Lorcana HQ Discord as well. That's awesome. And if you liked what you heard, you can follow us on uh, YouTube. You can follow me on Twitter at Citizens of Lurkana. You can subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice. And James, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me everywhere at Dan Regal. And you can check out geekshotphoto.com for uh, links for my wife and I for all our photography and other things. And uh, thank you, Ross, for joining us. And thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>